It's the JT the Brick Show. Open Adams at the 35, racing to the 20, 10, touchdown Raiders! Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. Gets the snap, Raiders bring a blitz, he takes up off the middle, and he's wrapped up from behind! Guess who? Max Crosby! Your silver and black home to sound off for over 20 years. Spinning around, he throws it to Chandler Jones in midfield! And a step Jones racing towards the end zone. He scores! Oh my goodness! And now, here's JT the Brick. Appreciate you coming back, JT, in studio today with Bobby. Nice day in studio today. A beautiful day here as we continue on the flagship of the Silver and Black. Grimaldi's, hands down my favorite pizza. It's in Las Vegas, only at Grimaldi's Pizzeria. Can you get their famous New York-style coal-fired brick oven pizza that you crave? Grimaldi's has four locations in the Vegas Valley. Summerlin and Boca Park, that's my spot on the Strip. In the Ground Canal shops at the Palazzo. Southwest Las Vegas at 7155 South Rainbow Boulevard. And in Green Valley at 9595 Southeastern Avenue. For more, visit GrimaldisPizzeria.com, and we thank Grimaldi's for the $50 gift cards that we'll have every week during the season, as they always do that. Yeah, Bobby, they've always had $50 gift cards. What are you talking about? They're here. I got a stack of them, $50 Grimaldi gift cards for callers and tweeters or Xers, however you want to say that, who add to the show. Mike Garofolo from NFL Network said something interesting today that we picked up on. Bobby grabbed this sound, had something to do with the Raiders, so we flagged it. And, and you look at the Raiders' offensive depth chart and you go, okay, there's some really good, serious pieces yeah. there. There are guys that have won football games. If Jimmy Garoppolo stays healthy, we know he's a winning quarterback. It's like, okay, you could start to see it, but... Teams don't win in this league unless they're playing good defense, mm-hmm. right? And then you look at the defensive depth chart, and you're like, yeah, you're not blown away by what's happening on the back half of it. But up front, mm-hmm. now you can start to talk yourself into some things here because I go back to a, a team that I covered that a lot of te- people were not expecting anything of. It was the 2007 Giants. Now you can look back and say, you're going to compare the Raiders to a Super Bowl team. Nobody thought the Giants were a Super Bowl team coming into that season. But they had four pass rushers up front. Coincidentally, they also had a linebacker named Antonio Pierce, who now coaches for the Las Mm -hmm. Vegas Raiders. So uh, he understands the importance of having those pass rushers up front. So, you know, Max Crosby, Tyree Wilson, who just got on the field recently, uh, had that foot issue coming into the draft uh, as well. And Chandler Jones looking to have a bounce-back season. How can the Raiders beat expectations this season? How can they be in contention? Those guys have got to play out of their minds. And when you start to do that, now you start to cover up some things that maybe aren't as complete elsewhere Mm. on your run. All right, so I like what he said there. He said that the Raiders, if they're up front, they play out of their minds, it could cover up. Well, what are we looking to cover up now? Are we looking to cover up Marcus Peters? I don't think so. He's a hell of a player. Are we looking to cover up Epps and Merrick get the safety position? I don't think those guys are bad football players. So even at the end, something very positive said about the Raiders, you know, they got a good pass rush. If they play out of their mind, it can cover up blank. What do we still need to cover up here? It's got to be the linebackers. I haven't seen Robert Spillane play yet for the Raiders. Divine Diablo my guy, who I have the circle around, him. And then who's going to be that third linebacker? Masterson? Who's going to be the third linebacker or fourth linebacker who makes a play? I don't think we need to cover up Nate Hobbs, do we? Jacorian Bennett's going to play a lot. He's a rookie. Maybe we have to cover up for him. He's a rookie. He's going to get beat from time to time, but we don't know until we see him. So that was interesting. Raiders have a lot on offense. They're going to do well. 
Their defensive pass rush is really good, comparable to a Super Bowl team in 2007. Garofolo said that. But he said at the end they have to cover up for some other things. What? I don't think the secondary is as bad as people say. If we start week one with Nate Hobbs, Jacorian Bennett, uh, Marcus Peters, Trayvon Merrig, and Marcus Epps, that's not bad. I wouldn't call it elite, but it's not bad. 702-365-9200. I talk to Vinny Bonsignor every week because he's got proud partners on this show. As we just played one of them, is Tequila Brand. I talked to him last night on Sirius XM 82, Mad Dog Sports Radio. Yeah, no doubt about it. And first of all, thanks for having me, JT. Um, it's, it really is beneficial because, you know, I, I like to watch when, when, when they do off-script stuff. Well, oftentimes, everything will be coordinated. You know, it's a two-minute drill. It's a red zone drill. It's whatever third and six, whatever, um, you know, they, they've decided as coaches what to do. But oftentimes, they'll go off-script. And, you know, uh, let's say it's the first-team offense for the Raiders. You'll have Josh McDaniels just throw out scenarios for his team to respond to and him to make a play call for. And then for, let's say, the Rams' defense to now respond as well. And their defensive coordinator make the appropriate call to fit what the personnel grouping is or what the situation is, the down and distance. You'll see that often uh, in, in, in joint practices where – now you're trying to react to what the other team is doing. Oftentimes, especially by this time in training camp, you have an idea of what your offense is doing as a defensive player and vice versa, tendencies, what, what, when your offense is lined up in a certain look, uh, you kind of have a pretty good idea where the ball is going. But when you're facing a team for the first time in practice, uh, the way these teams do in, in, in these joint workouts, uh, now you're seeing something completely new. And you as a player and as a coach, because it's just as valuable for the coaches as it is the players. Now you have to make your calls. It's practice for, for everybody involved uh, to deal with whatever it is that's happening in real time, which is what really happens in actual games. You're, there's no script uh, when, it, when it's game time, uh, and you have to make plays and react to whatever that situation is and adjust to whatever that situation, sometimes on the fly. So little things like that occur during joint practices that you can never replicate uh, as your own team against your own team. So they're extremely valuable, and it's why teams, uh, more and more teams, are, are taking advantage of these types of things. Vinny Bonsignor joins us. So how does that affect the revenue model of the preseason? Because we're talking about season ticket prices in the preseason. They don't lower the price of uh, you know cocktails and beer and sodas and all that. Ticket prices are pretty high. They're not as expensive as game day, but they're in the ballpark there. And it seems like the coaches don't want to see these recorded joint practices because they want to do some things that they might do in the regular season that they wouldn't showcase in a preseason football game. So what do you think Goodell is thinking and the other owners on how to maximize these joint practices and make some money off of it? Yeah, I don't know um, how they're going to be able to do that. Uh, there were no fans in, in Thousand Oaks. Mm -hmm. There were no fans here in Henderson when – the Raiders and, uh, and 49ers practiced uh, th this year. So I'm not quite sure they're going to be able to, um, you know, monetize the actual workouts. But I can say this, Allegiant Stadium was completely full, basically, when the 49ers were out here. And when we were in Los Angeles and you were there as well, uh, it was a pretty darn good crowd for a preseason game. And then, of course, you have the TV uh, part of it. People are still watching preseason football. They always do. So I don't know that this is taking anything away. If they can try to monetize it, I'm sure they will. But 
you know, uh, in fairness to the coaches, this is that one opportunity that they have during the week to work against another team without all the cameras uh, out there. You know, we're only allowed as reporters to film, um, you know, just a very small segment of those practices for obvious reasons. They don't want, you know, their formations and their plays and all those types of things in a kind of an intimate setting where there's an agreement amongst the coaches. Oftentimes you're not playing that team anyway, unless you maybe see them in the playoffs or something like that, or excuse me, the Super Bowl. So, um, you know, there's not much risk of of getting information out there to the other team because you're not going to face that other team. And you certainly don't want the footage of that. Some of the, some of the more intricate things that you're working on and doing that you wouldn't see in the preseason, but you would in these settings, coaches definitely don't want that out and about for anybody to, to see. So I, I would imagine the coaches are going to fight tooth and nail to make sure that those settings, those joint practices, uh, are, are closed off just for themselves. Vinny Bonsignor is our guest. Vinny, another big deal for me is, you know, we take a look at the season wrapping up, the preseason wrapping up, and teams are ramping up for the regular season games out west where we are. Everybody's chasing Patrick Mahomes. The quarterbacks here in the AFC West, Jimmy Garoppolo is legit. He's won 70% of his games all time in four playoff games. That's four more playoff games than Justin Herbert's ever won. We know how great Mahomes is, but Russell Wilson, I want to spend a minute on it. He lost that weight for a reason, and Sean Payton wants him to be faster and more elusive so he can run, but Payton also likes to get the ball out to his backs in the passing game. What have you heard inside the Broncos camp on what could possibly be going right? Because Payton didn't take that job to crash and burn with Russell Wilson and have to draft the quarterback. It's kind of got to work with Russell Wilson. Do you think it will in the short term, or could it take a season or two? Um, it might. You know, I've talked to some people in the NFL who have some doubts whether or not um, Russell Wilson is still Russell Wilson, and that's nothing against him. This is a, a player who played at a really high level, but when you think about Russell Wilson, and I know covering the Rams for the years that I covered the Rams and saw him, uh, twice a year, he played a very physical style of play. Um, obviously, he had a cannon for, his ar- for an arm uh, and could make all the throws. But part of his brilliance was being able to improvise and being able to, 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 to use his legs to go make plays and to get yards, important yards. I saw him you know, win a couple of games that were close down the stretch just because he was such a dominant player. But there was a price to be paid for, for that. And that was the hit that he took along the way. He played such a physical style, and it was uh, you know, wonderful to watch, but there were also hits that he was taking along the way. And I, and I do wonder, and I, and I know people in the NFL wonder, is it just past that side? You know, is, he, is he on the other side of that, the wrong side of that, I should say? Um, if he's not, then, and he gets back to being Russell Wilson, uh, that's a game-changer for the Denver Broncos. But there's some doubt that, that Russell Wilson is ever going to be Russell Wilson again. Everyone wants the best for him. He's a great guy, obviously, been a true pro and a great NFL player. No one's wishing bad on him, but I think right now it's a valid question. Vinny Bonsignor joins us from the Las Vegas Review-Journal. You had a chance to see Trey Lance and Kyle. You know, we look at Brock Purdy and the situation they have there working with Kyle Shanahan. I think the Niners have one of the best rosters in all of football, but I don't think they have an elite quarterback. Uh, Trey Lance has trouble with him as they traded for three first-round picks. Sam Darnold, a good player, but we've seen a lot of bad film on him over the years. 
And man, Purdy seems to be where they're going with coming off elbow surgery. What did you see, Vinny, with the Niners with that roster? I think it's one of the best pound-for-pound rosters in all of football. I just don't believe in their quarterback room. Yeah, um, no doubt. And I could say this, having watched Matthew Stafford a week later with the Rams, um, in no way, shape, or form uh, were the 49er quarterbacks as impressive as Matthew Stafford. Now, keep in mind, uh, Matthew Stafford looks healthy, and that's a game-changer for him. He just wasn't healthy last year. So when you're talking about the quarterback position, what I saw from the 49ers, and now Purdy is coming back from injury. Uh, I didn't get a chance to watch him enough last year to really understand you know, how good he is and what his strengths and weaknesses are. Uh, but if, 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 what, if the Purdy that we saw in practice is Purdy, is what he is and what the 49ers can expect, um, you know, frankly, he didn't measure up to Matthew Stafford. And so uh, you wonder, okay, and you mentioned they have a great roster, and maybe just enough of Purdy or what Purdy is is going to be enough uh, for, for them. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see if it is, because here's the other part of it. You know, now people have a book on, on, on Purdy. You know, now they've seen him. And I go back to that, that uh, playoff game against Dallas where, he was okay. He wasn't great in that game. And, and I, I wonder how much of, of him being just okay in that game was the result of the Dallas Cowboys in the playoffs being able to really zero in uh, on Brock Purdy and wonder, understand what his strengths and weaknesses were and really game plan for that particular quarterback. Now you fast forward to this year, that's what he's going to be facing every single week. Teams are now going to be preparing for Brock Purdy based on what they saw last year and certainly – the blueprint that the Dallas Cowboys uh, drew up to, to kind of neutralize him and, and to slow him down and maybe take some of his strengths uh, away from him. It's going to be on him to make that other adjustment uh, that the great quarterbacks often do, but we don't know for sure whether he has another level to go to. We don't know for sure that he's going to be able to make that adjustment successfully. This is a guy that had five starts under his belt uh, in the NFL. It came out of nowhere. So was it a little bit of a mirage? Did they catch lightning in a bottle? Is, is, is Brock Purdy uh, a legitimate, you know, star NFL quarterback capable of getting the 49ers to the Super Bowl? Um, I'm not so sure that that's the case yet. I don't know that anybody can definitively answer that question. He's got to go out there and, and, and prove it. Vinny Bonsignor. Vinny, last one. A lot of people nationally are going to wait for you to break the news to see if Josh Jacobs is going to join the Raiders this week or wait till next week. And considering the way – Jim Irsay is treating Jonathan Taylor and what's going on with him in Indianapolis as they've given him permission to seek a trade. How does that for, uh, affect what's happening with Josh Jacobs, the leading rusher in the NFL? Because he, he's going to come back or he's not going to get paid. It's over $10 million, but the Raiders need him week one, not week two or three as they open up against their rival with the cardio in the rare air of mile high. What can we sense is happening on the timeline with Josh Jacobs and the Raiders? Yeah, um, you know, uh, I, I still feel uh, like when, when, when it gets right down to it and when push comes to shove, Josh Jacobs is going to be there. Uh, there's people, you know, within the industry that, that feel that's the case. But, you know, you never know in these, in these situations and what it's ultimately going to take for Josh Jacobs uh, to come back. And, and, you know, there's, there's you know, at, at some point he's got to probably look around a little bit uh, when you look at, you know, uh, uh, Barkley from the uh, from the Giants getting just like a meager little sort of 
bone that was thrown his way from the Giants that gave him a little bit more money than what the than what the uh, franchise tag value was. When you look at what Dalvin Cook just signed for, Ezekiel Elliott just signed for. When you look at what's going on with with Jonathan Taylor and you know the the, the Colts obviously aren't uh, meeting whatever his demands are. Sometimes you got to kind of read the room and say, all right, this is just kind of what the reality is for running backs. And is Josh Jacobs going to sacrifice $10.1 million uh, or maybe a little bit more if the Raiders uh, sweeten the pot, which I think there's probably some things that they've talked about that, that, that would, that would uh, sweeten the pot a little bit on, on, you know, for this one year. Um, but, but I think at some point, again, it's going to have to come down to the agent and Josh Jacobs to sort of look around and understand what the market really is. I'm for all players getting every cent that they are capable uh, of getting and what they deserve. And Josh Jacobs has definitely earned uh, a nice payday. But he happens to be playing a position that, for whatever reason, and a lot of it is analytics and data that the NFL and coaches and general managers uh, and all the people that are paid to make those decisions in terms of how much you pay each position, the running back position has just taken you know a little bit of a nosedive in that regard. And there's really nothing that Josh Jacobs is going to change in that regard. Um, you know, and, and, you know, it's noble that he's going to fight for whether it's himself or himself and others that come be, you know, behind him and, and his fellow running backs. There's some nobility uh, in that. But at the same time, uh, he's got to probably realize that it's, 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 a, it's a battle that he's probably not going to win because I don't see the NFL budging anytime soon in terms of how they look at that position. And it's not collusion. Uh, it's not this big mastermind plan uh, to suppress running backs pay it's just how do you cut that 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 pie that salary cap pie uh and what do you devote how much do you devote to each position and there's a lot of again data and analytics um and history that shows that you better be careful when it comes to paying a a running back a second contract a lot of money there's kind of a cap that's being put on of this is where teams should feel comfortable this is where teams should feel a little bit weary and that's that's Again, nothing personal to Josh Jacobs or running backs in general. It's just the direction that the NFL has gone. And, and I do wonder when Josh is going to kind of come to that conclusion and that realization uh, that, that, this is, that, that $10.1 million or maybe a little bit above is the most he's going to make this year. And then play this year out, do the best he can, uh, and try to take another swing at it uh, in March next year when the Raiders and he are actually allowed uh, to negotiate a long-term deal. Vinny Bonsignor, great as always. We greatly appreciate your time, Vinny. Enjoy the rest of the summer. All right, JT. Thank you, Ben. The great Vinny Bonsignor, a lot to chew on there at the end as he got into Josh Jacobs. That was my conversation with him last night on Mad Dog Sports Radio, and he had a lot to say on this issue. It's a big one. It's a big one, and he thinks thinks he's coming. I think he's coming, but we don't know the timeline on that. Levi Edwards asked a lot of questions today to the head coach. He's going to join us coming up here on the other side. We're brought to you by M Resort Spawn Casino. They're back with us again with the Raiders Tavern and Grill. How many good times have you had there? A lot of Raider Nation loves to go to the M because it's the official hotel of the Las Vegas Raiders.
Horstead in at tight end. Sincere McCormick in the backfield. O'Connell looking for a deep shot down the middle of the field. It is caught at the 15-yard line. Cole, great reception over the middle. That was Trey Tucker. Trey Tucker over the middle. Caught that play, EA, and again, he was open deep. Yes, Trey. I thought it was Cole initially. He came down far away. It was Tucker. And Tucker had a big reception there. Hope he plays well. Hope he plays really well this year. The Jets sweeps. His ability to stretch the field. JT, as we continue, Levi Edwards joins us over at the Raider facility. The Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. One of our insiders. We added him to the show last year. He'll be back with us every other week this year. We're fortunate to have him. Uh, Levi, how was that press conference today? I know you got a lot of questions in. And we're getting ready for a roster cutdown after Dallas. Is that what you're paying attention now on how this final roster is going to look? Certainly, I'm, I believe we're all looking forward into seeing how things go in Dallas and also seeing how things go after that in terms of who's going to make the cut, who doesn't make the cut. And I know a lot of these guys, even though they may not make the initial 53-man roster, they still have opportunities to get picked up by the practice squad, obviously. And, you know, they're putting a lot of good tape, you know, a lot of good work on tape as well. So there's 32 NFL teams, and so I know that even though despite – cut day being around the corner you know a lot of guys NFL dreams will not be ended uh still on the beginning for a lot of these guys uh you and I have been able to talk a few times and I value your opinion especially as I'm putting together the board for these preseason games and it's interesting to see what's going to happen now for that last wide receiver as we go through Trey Tucker who's clearly going to be an impact guy here and Killing Cole and some of the other Wilkerson, the importance of this last wide receiver, because there's only one football to go around. Levi and Devontae is going to get it most of the time, along with Jacoby and Hunter Renfro, before we even get out to the fourth or fifth, let alone the sixth here. So, how spirit is this last competition in this preseason game at Dallas for the wide receivers who are fighting to get on this team? In terms of the competitions that's still open, I think that has to be one of the Maybe the more more under the radar competition, mm-hmm. but it's going to be huge, just because you have guys that like Devonte, Jacoby, Hunter. Those guys are locks. Trey Tucker, he's the you know the third round pick coming in. He's shown his speed, explosive playmaking, so he's another guy who's kind of a lock. But I would also put Trey Tucker in a category with DeAndre Carter. I believe DeAndre Carter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will make the team simply because of what he can provide on special teams. And you saw what he could do against the Rams. And you also see just throughout his career what he's been able to do on special teams. He's a mm-hmm. threat in that regard. So I see him being a big kick-punt return guy along with what he already does as a receiver. So really what it comes down to is the competition for that six-receiver spot. And it's extremely competitive between Philip Dorsett, Cam Sims, uh, and Christian Wilkerson, mm-hmm. uh, three guys, in my opinion, that have – they, you know, that are very good, but they all have their unique skill set of what they can do. Philip Dorsett, he brings speed. He brings someone who can just kind of like block, you know, fly by someone on a go route and really go out and get it. Uh, you know, you have Cam Sims, who's the biggest of the three. He's a big body guy who can go up and get jump balls and really a good possession guy, a guy that you'd love to have in the red zone, as you saw with that dart Christian mm-hmm. of that Aiden O'Connell was able to throw to him against the Rams. And then Christian Wilkerson is a guy who can kind of do a little bit of everything. You know, he has a good bit of speed to him, but he also is a very good route runner. 
very good possession guy, has a good release, uh, just kind of like your overall pretty solid receiver who's been coming on and making some noise in training camp. So it's going to be a very, very competitive competition between those guys for who could be that sixth receiver on the team if that makes it. Um, but regardless, mm-hmm. these are three guys that I know that the Raiders would love to keep either on the roster or on the on the practice squad throughout the season if they have the opportunity. Uh, Levi Edwards joins us. He's a great column. I want everybody to go see five under-the-radar players of Raiders training camp and preseason. So let's go through your list. Amir White, as you had at number one, and what he's going to be able to do with this, depending on what happens and the turnout of Josh Jacobs. I looked at his numbers here, and again, he didn't get much of a run last year because Josh was getting the whole run. And last year he rushed for 70 yards on 17 carries. Obviously more of an expanded role this year. What have we seen? What have you seen with him practice, joint workouts, and the limited time in the games? Well, I believe that he's definitely progressed in terms of being able to you know, his athleticism is just off the charts. He's a guy that is very physical, but he also has some speed to him. So he looks like he's progressed in terms of his poise, you know, kind of behind the line of scrimmage and being able to make plays happen. Uh, really the thing that he's still trying to develop in is just his vision and being able to, you know, run the right angles and things like that. And I think that he's doing a, a better job of that this offseason than he did last year as a rookie. Uh, when it comes down to it, uh, Zamir White, maybe – He's not the most under-the-radar guy of the the under-the-radar guys that I talked about in the article. However, I will say that despite no matter what happens with Josh Jacobs, uh, when he comes back, if he comes back, all that that jazz, I think regardless of of whatever happens with that, Zamir White will have an expanded role within this offense just because of the fact that, you know, running back is such a grueling position. And, you know, he's a guy that with his progression – is in line for some more carries, mm-hmm. whether as running back one or two, it doesn't really matter. So he's going to be a guy that I feel the Raiders can depend on in a lot of third down situations and a lot of you know different things. And also he's progressed as a, as a pass catcher as well. And that's a big thing that will also help within this offense of him being able to kind of get some stuff out of the backfield on some screens or on some bubble mm-hmm. routes and things like that. So I really like what I've seen from him. And I think regardless of what happens with the Josh Jacobs situation, he's going to have a much bigger role within this upcoming season than he did his rookie year. Yeah, I would agree. Levi Edwards is our guest. Let's go to Isaiah Palomao at safety. He's only allowed 17 yards in coverage, earning an 80.2 defensive grade by pro football focus against the Rams. He had the 50-yard interception return. The ball was thrown at him. He caught him the ball. He caught the ball, did what he's supposed to do. I don't know where he fits in behind Merrig and Epps and what type of new packages and how Patrick Graham wants to get him on the field. Tell me about him. Well, he's a guy that made the team last year as a UDFA from uh, USC. And mm. look at his tape of what he was able to do at USC. And he he was a really great player. And I think he didn't get the shine that he got just because USC's defense uh, was a little shorthanded kind of going into before the huge transformation happened with, with Lincoln Riley coming into town. And, you know, Caleb Williams went in the highs. And so he was a little undershadowed there at USC for a while. But he's a guy that, A, adds length. He's 6'4" about 210, 220. So he's a guy, he's a big boy. And so he, he's a very hard-hitting guy. He's the, the nephew of Troy Palomalu, another hard-hitting Hall of Fame guy. So uh, it definitely runs into the blood. So I, think, I see him being a guy that, you know, can be a box safety, 
He's a guy that can run downhill and really make a play, but he can also diagnose, uh, you know, stuff in coverage and be able to run down and be able to you know, make a pass deflection or get a pick here and there. He's uh, got a lot of reps so far within training camp, and, you know, I'm still trying to figure out what his role or how many reps he'll get going into the season, but he's someone that behind Epps and Merrick has seen a lot of run at safety. Um, probably more than any other safety, you know, even with Chris Smith, the guy they just drafted coming in. So I, I expect him to have a, a pretty solid role in this upcoming season for sure. Levi Edwards joins us inside the Raiders facility. Great job on the digital team. Check him out, Raiders.com. Five players here that we're going over. Now we move to Malcolm Kuntz. We've been call. I called his name a few times in the game. I, I think he's shooting out of a cannon from time to time. We don't know the status of Chandler Jones. Hopefully he's perfect, 100%. They've been bringing along Tyree Wilson slower, coming off the foot injury. Great opportunity for Koontz. For the fans who haven't seen him play as closely as you have, why is he making a name for himself? Well, exactly what you just said. He looks like he's coming out of a cannon, and this is a guy that I really like his tape coming out of Buffalo. He's a guy that's very bendy, uh, has a lot of twitch to him coming off the line. Uh, just very flexible guy, can kind of you know, maneuver through maneuver through gaps and get to the quarterback in different ways. And even though he didn't play a lot his rookie year, he had two sacks his rookie year, uh, and he, he definitely showed a glimpse of what he can do. Last year he was kind of relegated more to a special teams guy, and so now he's starting to get to the point where you look at you know, you look at the edge rushers on this team and you look at where the defensive line is as a whole, he's a guy that's one of the more long-tenured more long -tenured guys on the team now. Even He was drafted three years ago, but he's he has that continuity on the roster. He kind of knows what he's doing going into his second season in Patrick Graham's system. So I just really think that things are starting to click for him just in terms of the mental side of the game and really studying the game. He already he always had the athletic abilities and the athletic traits to be good in this league, but I think he's really turned that switch on just psychologically being the best player he can be. Levi Edwards, lastly, uh, two more, Dalton Wagner and McClendon Curtis. Look, I want to know the swing guys and guys who can come in and play guard or tackle and could be an impact if someone goes down and gets injured here. Tell me about these two players. Wagner had a big game. I thought a little bit of a setback in another one. McClendon Curtis, the size, what he looks like when he gets on and off the bus. This guy's a mountain of a man. Tell me quickly about both these guys. Who has the better chance to play? Well, just based off of what I've seen, uh, Dalton Wagner definitely has a great chance to, mm. to play and make the make the three-man roster. I know a lot of guys, a lot of people on the internet, a lot of people in the building have been asking me, like, oh, who's your pick? Who's your pick for the UDFA to make the roster this year? And my pick ha it has turned into Dalton Wagner. I really liked what I've seen from him. He's a big, big boy, 6'8", 325. So you, you look at him already as as a physical specimen, and he already has the NFL size that you can't teach. So you already have that under the, under the way. So if you can just continue to develop him, uh, he could turn into like a really productive player. And he's also, like you said, he can play both sides, same way that McClendon can play both sides at left and right guard. McClendon was a guy who was outstanding in college. Mm. And he was an FCS guy that didn't get a lot of love, but he was projected to be a fourth-round guy and then just kind of slid and, you know, became an undrafted uh, free agent. But, you know, these are two guys that were very productive in college. 
and they've come in and they you know they've worked really hard to come you know to get to pace on the NFL level. So I really like what they've been able to do alongside each other and just kind of watching interactions just in terms of uh you know around the building or on the road. You know, they definitely are always kind of around each other, talk to each other. They seem like they've uh developed a pretty solid friendship with one another. So that's also cool as well. So mm-hmm. I really like what I've seen from the two. They have NFL size. It really just now is to the point where they're trying to come to speed with the game, you know, become stronger, become faster. Also just, you know, the mental side of things. So okay. I, I, like, I like them both. Uh, finally, our workouts missed each other in when we were out there in beautiful Manhattan Beach. But when I met you in the lobby after your workout, you were super swole. Everyone thought you were an NFL player, and you had a Laker jersey on a Laker tank top that you were busting through. I didn't realize the Laker impact on your early life there as you were navigating through Manhattan Beach with Laker gear on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, one, thank you. Uh, I, I was kind of, I felt a little, uh, not. Well, you felt swole? Are you thanking me for saying you were swole? Your shoulders are the size of like the hotel. Is that what you're thanking me for? I, I appreciate you for saying that. Uh, that's a, that's a very <laughs> nice compliment. I felt a little disgusting meeting you in the lobby because it was fresh off the gym and I was trying to get right. as much sweat as I could. Uh, but no, huge, huge Lakers guy. You know, obviously I'm from Charlotte and everybody, and, yeah. and I, I have, I have love for the Hornets as well, but. I grew up uh, in Alabama and in Charlotte. Those are like my two my two home cities. So uh, obviously, growing up, I was a huge Lakers fan just because uh, I was a big Kobe guy. Mm-hmm. I was a big Shaq guy. Those were the two guys that were dominating the league when I was a very little boy coming up. And I used to watch uh, ESPN Classic games with my dad. So I would always watch like the Showtime Lakers with mm-hmm. him on, on TV. And it was just always just a very electrifying team. So... Uh, despite me being uh, a kid from Alabama in the South, uh, I'm a huge Lakers fan. Nice. So, you know, uh, you know what the phrase is: uh, "When in Rome, do as the Romans." So you know, we're in Manhattan yes. Beach, we're in Southern Cal. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> rock the you know, rock the Lakers. Smart you know move. It is. All right, Levi. I'll see you on the plane. Take care, buddy. Thank you. I'll see you soon. All right, Levi Edwards. He got a great article. The guy blogs and blogs and works and sits there. That's why he's an insider for us, man. You know, everybody. Everybody that we have on this show brings something to the table. Levi is a digital reporter, kind of new to radio, like Harry was new to radio. We kind of take them through this tree, and they get better. And we just put them on more, and they get better and better. He's got a lot of good information that I've been using. I appreciate it. And he is a mountain of a man, a mountain of a man. Deshaun Reed, 30 minutes ago, Raiders I don't see at practice today. Britton Brown, Devontae Adams, Chris Lacey, Dylan Parham, Chandler Jones, Isaac Rochelle, Bilal Nichols, Byron Young, Jacorian Bennett, Brandon Faison, and Marcus Epps, according to Deshaun Reed from earlier today. Don't know some of the personal days off, what the schedule looks like, who's going to get some days off to rest. I don't know. Uh, these, I'm just reading from the guys who were there. I'm not there today because I'm on the radio talking to you. That's why I'm not at practice, and I've gone to practices, the joint practices, but a lot of times these practices start when I start the show, and we're here, but we have eyes and ears on the ground. We appreciate that. And one other thing that Levi said about Kobe, my son, when Kobe died, it was the toughest day of my son's life, ever. Because my son, the first words he ever said was not mom and dad, it was Kobe. We lived in L.A., Kobe was on the news every night, not sports, 
Kobe was everywhere. And he had Kobe everything. Kobe little Nerf balls, Kobe basketballs. And Levi is older than my son, but not by much. And I'll never forget that day, one of the darkest days of all time. Kobe Bryant died in the helicopter crash. Uh, found out the news that day. It went viral very quickly. Ended up going to UNLV basketball that day where they made the announcement in the crowd. The shrieks in the crowd because some people didn't know. Some people didn't have their phones. Some people went from brunch, breakfast to the game. Uh, a dark day. And uh, for Levi, he was sitting there supporting the Lakers. When we were in Manhattan Beach for three or four days. Uh, the murals, Kobe Bryant is still everywhere. He's everywhere in Los Angeles. People think of him all the time. And a lot of Raider fans were at that game and the tailgating. I didn't get a chance to go out there for the tailgate like I normally do. That's one of my favorite things to do on the road is to pop outside, see who the Raiders are and where they're tailgating. And Black Hole's putting together a lot of stuff for the Raider fans who are going to go on the road. Uh, L.A. is the biggest one. The biggest volume tailgate is the Raider game against the Chargers. That's week four. Uh, Miami is going to be a big one. Uh, Buffalo, because Buffalo are listeners from Rochester, New York, uh, Central New York, Syracuse, New York. There's a lot of Raider fans in New York and Cleveland and in the surrounding areas that make that their only Raider game is the Buffalo game. So a huge contingency of Raider Nation will be at that first game there and some good places to party and go to this year where the Raiders are going to be on the road. Uh, Kansas City, obviously, and Denver built into the schedule, but some of those road games where the Raiders are going to be this year are unique because Raider fans in those markets don't get the Raiders every year. So when the Raiders come to your town or near your town, or it could be a state away, you want to go to that game. And this year at Buffalo is a big one. Uh, The other game at Chicago, a lot of Raider fans, the home of Bo Jackson. People don't realize Bo Jackson lives in Chicago. At Detroit on Monday Night Football. I just mentioned Miami, which is a big one. I think that's going to be good. Kansas City and at Indy. New Year's Eve in Indianapolis. I would not plan on spending a New Year's Eve in Indianapolis unless the Raiders were there. The Raiders are playing there. That is a 10 a.m. Pacific time game. The Raiders will be home long before New Year's Eve there. Think of what New Year's Eve is going to be like here this year, Bobby. We're going to have F1. We're going to have New Year's Eve. We're going to have the Super Bowl. And you know how many people come out for New Year's Eve on the Strip as they shut the Strip down. They're shutting the strip down for F1, and I'm assuming the strip closers for the Super Bowl are going to be incredible. Man, if the Raiders can stay competitive, the end of the schedule, the bye week is week 13. What a raw, bad, dirty deal that was from the league. How dare you give the Raiders a bye week in week 13? 13 is the bye week? The week of coming off Kansas City? On November 26th, the Raiders get their bye week on November 27th through December 10th. Really? That's when they gave the Raiders a bye week? The league gave the Raiders three out of four to open up the season on the road. The only thing that the league has done well for the Raiders is gave them back the primetime games they stole from the Raiders last year. That was it. The games they stole from the Raiders last year in primetime. And then they give us the Giants and the Jets. They give us the Giants and the Jets seven days apart. Giants play on November 5th, 125 Pacific. The Jets play Sunday night football the following week, week 10, 520 Pacific time. So the New Yorkers, I mean, there's going to be some New Yorkers that probably spend the week here. Not a many, but there'll be some. Some of those hedge fund guys, lawyers there with the big money, man, just don't leave. Go to the Giant game and go to the Jet game. 
How did they give us both New York games back-to-back at home? That's weird. That's bizarre. I don't know how they did that. And then a game that a lot of fans are coming to, wink, wink, don't sell your tickets. There are a lot of them coming. Minnesota. Minnesota fans ringing my phone off the hook. Oh, ringing my phone off the hook. The Minnesota fans want in. Everybody wants in. Why wouldn't they want in? It's Vegas. It's Allegiant Stadium. It's the job of the Raider Nation to keep them out. 702-365-9200. If you'd like to get through before the top of the hour, before Q comes on, Q tweets out his lineup every day. He's got a great show. Q Myers on deck as he was at practice earlier today in the press conferences. Hear what Q saw by listening to his show, which is coming up next. We have new proud partners that we're welcoming to the show. And what a big deal for us. The 872 laborers are back. Tommy White and the team that built the stadium on time and on budget, and they're building a lot more out here. Very happy to welcome them back for another year with me on Raider Nation Radio. Two to the left, one to the right here, as Bennett again is in the shotgun. This looked good so far. He throws it away and it's picked off. Down the left side, the Raiders are going to have a home run touchdown. Raiders are going to score. Raider Nation unite. That's a 45-yard return. What a play for the silver and black. Isaiah comes up huge on that play. And the Raiders with a monster touchdown taking over this game. Isaiah Palomal on the biggest play he's made so far in this preseason. That's a... 50-yard interception touchdown for the Silver and Black right before halftime. Isaiah Palomar touchdown, and that was fun to call. I said 45, and then the spotter, the stat guy, said 50. Well, that's okay. It was off by a few yards. Was The ballpark was right there. JT, back with you. I've been known to exaggerate, never lie to you. Uh, my son just said, Dad, pick up Raisin Cane's on the way home. Please. He said, please. My son who graduated from Oklahoma is doing super well, great. Got a job, a real job. I'm proud of him. He knows I get off now, and he knows Raisin Cane's chicken fingers. Not too far from my home. I said, what do you want? He said, the box combo. Two. Now, my son is over 225 pounds fit. He's a big guy. So he has the box combo, and he wants two. Now, I don't know if he wants two for one sitting. What my sons like to do, Bobby, is they like to get food, and then they hide it from each other. But the one son went back to ASU so that he doesn't have to hide from his brother. So I'm going to go buy Raisin Cane's here in about 10 minutes and pick up the box combo, and I'm going to get what I like the most, a coleslaw on the sides, and he's going to want a regular unsweetened tea, which he loves a lot. He pounds that also, and the chicken fingers, Raisin Cane's, we just love them. Raisin Cane's, proud partner of our show. We thank them for being back with us again. Why? Because I go to these spots. These are the people that we do business with. They get it, and they're proud partners. A lot of it has to do they're proud partners because we've been on the radio so long in this market, and we thank Raisin Cane's. For that, Okay, a couple of other uh, quick housekeeping notice. I'm freaking out as a Yankee fan. Listen to Susie Waldman. Susie's on the broadcast. Listen to what slipped as she was talking. This is the Yankees broadcast by Susie, who's been doing this a long time. You're good to go. Hi, this is Kyle Higashioka. Listen to every Yankees game on the Odyssey app. God, this is boring. Well, here's the center fielder, Alex Call, <laughs> to lead it off. She said, oh, that's boring. She didn't know her mic was on. 
Oh, the Yankees are boring. Their broadcasters are saying they're boring. Oh, this is boring. Let's move on. She doesn't know she had a hot mic. I don't know how you don't know you have a hot mic. And whenever I come into a studio and there's no one in there, I assume the microphone's on. Because I've been, I worked for some rascals in the day where you think the microphone's off, but it's on. So always, when you're walking around a microphone, Bobby, as you know, there could always be a hot mic. When you're doing a game for the Yankees, where Babe Ruth played for, yeah, that's boring. Okay, Susie, we turned your mic on. It was on before that. Incredible what has happened to my Yankees. Uh, Josh Jacobs, we'll find out what Q had to say today or ask or what he thinks about this. He'll have a lot to say. Are we in Josh Jacobs' countdown? Oh, hell yeah, we are. You better believe we're in Josh Jacobs' countdown. The franchise tag, he needs to sign it, get in there. When he signs it, he'll be there, and I'm sure they'll get the workload in. But the issue now becomes the Raiders need to put him through some drills and see what type of shape he's in. And I'm assuming Josh is going to be in great shape because he led the league in rushing, and he wants to do it again because that's the way he's going to get paid. Even though he thinks he should have been paid more, and that's a debatable issue. Most people believe that he should have been paid and paid more. He's going to have to play great to get more money again. Uh, Sam Darnold was named the number two today with the 49ers. Trey Lance wasn't at practice today. C.J. Stroud's going to start the Texans' final preseason game. And the biggest news today, by far in the Raider Nation, is that Art Powell made the seniors, seniors finalist list. Randy Gratishaw, Steve McMichael, and Art Powell. Steve McMichael is day-to-day in life. He's, he's under hospice care. He's in a very tough spot in his life, as we all know, and I'd love to see him get in. He deserves it. I thought he was a Hall of Famer, and most Raider fans will tell you Randy Gratishaw, the great Bronco, was a Hall of Famer. But how about Art Powell and his numbers, if he can get in? Went to the Raiders. In 63, he caught 73 passes for 1,304 yards and 16 touchdowns. He finished his career with over 8,000 yards, 479 receptions, and 81 touchdowns in that era. There's a chance that our pal can get into the Hall of Fame. We might have to go back to Canton for our pal. How great would that be? That was a nice surprise today. Well-deserved, but a nice one. Q is next. Have a great rest of the day, everybody.